Hello and welcome to Muppetsational, the Muppet Show podcast, hosted by three huge Muppet fans. Join us each week as we dive into an episode of Jim Henson's classic variety show, now finally available on Disney+. This week, it's season one, episode 20, starring the wonderful Valerie Harper. It's time to get things started on the chronological, explorational, conversational, Muppetsational! Hello, everybody, and welcome to Muppetsational. I'm Lewis Chandler. I'm Jay Turner. I'm Emma Chandler. And we are being riddled by technical issues today. (laughs) (laughs) This has been a goddamn ordeal, so you better be grateful for us recording this episode. (laughs) I hate Bluetooth. I hate Bluetooth, I hate webcams, I hate Zoom stuff freezing. Oh, God. Thank goodness we have such a wonderful episode to talk about. (laughs) Very true. (laughs) Jade, why don't you hit us with a little production information? I will. So this episode was originally broadcast on the 2nd of January, 1977. So happy new year, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) The production code lists it as the 20th episode made and therefore Disney Plus have included it as episode 20. It was written by Jack Burns, Mark London, Jim Henson and Jerry Jewell and directed by Peter Harris. And yeah, I, again, not to show our cards too early, but this was, this was a delight. So Emma, I'm, I'm curious to, to know more about Valerie Harper. Yeah, so Valerie Harper was a stage and screen actor and an Emmy Award winner. And most notably, she starred in quite a few US television comedy shows. Um, she started off on stage and then she her biggest part was probably when she starred in the Mary Tyler Moore show as Rhoda. And then she got her own show. Um, and then quite a funny fact that I found also. Um, at one point, she was in a, a sitcom called Valerie. And then in the second season, she got fired over a salary dispute. She then sued them, but then the show got renamed Valerie's Family. And then it got renamed The Hogan Family, and they sort of said her character died, and she was replaced by Sandy Duncan. Sandy (laughs) Duncan. Sandy Duncan strikes again. (laughs) She saw a good thing, and she she was like, there we go. Have either of you ever watched the Mary Tyler Moore show? No. I've only seen bits of it. I've never seen, I don't think I've, I, like, I doubt I've even seen a whole episode, to be honest. Yeah, I'm the same, but I really want to. It looks super fun. <laughs> yeah, I think it's super fun. So amazing, obviously, having the three main women as the centre of the show as yeah. well. So, so, well, <laughs> I'm saying so iconic without actually really having ever watched it, but I think it, it, it does look like an amazing amount of fun. Yeah. I think we should jump into this massive piece of fun that we <laughs> had the pleasure of watching today. We have a very different opening this week. One that we've never really had before, but I absolutely loved. Rather than having a Kermit introduction, we went straight to backstage. <laughs> when it cut to backstage, I actually sort of did this like double take at the TV of... Have I missed the opening number? Like, did I did I miss something? No, it was really cool. And I also really liked that you started with George because that actually made it feel even more kind of natural. Do you know what I mean? Like more genuinely backstage that it wasn't 
Fozzie moaning about his set or Piggy saying that she wanted a song or whatever. You know, it was just George cleaning up and moaning that that it's always a mess around there. Like mm. it, it fe- like it felt so sitcom-y and I guess realistic. Like this is yeah. actually what happens at the backstage yeah. at the Muppet Show. Yeah, and I think it was really nice to see George again because obviously you know how much he loves showbiz as he said <laughs> yes. before in previous episodes and he really gets to shine. And yeah, I... I agree. It's probably, I mean, I don't know. Is it kind of the show of things to come, Jade? Because I know you said it does change its format when we get later in the season. I don't necessarily know if it starts backstage, but from what I read, this whole kind of sense of the star having sort of different styles of introduction and things is very much a nod to the future and to, and mm. to different sort of styles of the show. So I think, I, th- I don't know whether we're going to see a backstage opener that often, but we're obviously going to see stars in different situations much more than we have in in this first season. And I mean, I did have to crack up when she came through that door and she got the round of applause oh. just for walking up the I stairs know. in her Mac. I was like, I was like, oh. I mean, I don't know. I guess it was a bit like Hello Dolly, wasn't it? It was like <laughs> I've arrived. Like, <laughs> I think we all need that in our lives. Yes, hundred <laughs> percent. Absolutely. In my mind, it's always playing whenever I enter a room. There's just a gentle round of applause in my head. <laughs> the applause sign is flashing in the corner. It better be. <laughs> the people need to know. <laughs> It just added such a lovely sense of narrative to it, mm. and the way that we mm. then not only had Valerie's introduction backstage, but that it then directly led into the first number. I loved it. And I love that slight shift into, oh, we're almost more in a musical territory where a character breaks into song because they want to and not necessarily the the Rob Marshall version of a musical where the character can only sing when they are on a stage, whether metaphorical or literal. It's no Valerie Harper's showing why she should be uh, given the big opening number by doing a big opening number backstage and a Stephen Sondheim number. Look, I can do it if you just give me the chance. Kermit television is great, but I got to get back on those boards. You know what it's like, a live audience, smell of the grease paint, the roar of the crowd. At least let me audition for you, will you? Sure, I'm going in. I'm just a Broadway baby. Walking off my tired feet Pounded 42nd Street To be in a show Oh, vote for Broadway, baby Learning how to sing and dance Waiting for that one big chance To be in a show Oh, gee I'd love to be on a marquee all to winkling lights a spark to pierce the dark from battery park way up to washington heights someday maybe all my dreams will be repaid heck i'd even play the maid to be in a show just sort of seemed to come out of nowhere didn't it really I get like in comparison to the rest of the season that we've seen so far I was not I was expecting a little bit of patter and a little bit of I don't know Kermit maybe saying to her like oh here's your dressing room or 
something like that but I was not expecting for the backstage area to suddenly be turned into the performance area yeah it was really cool it was really clever and I agree completely it felt musical and I guess not least because obviously you still had the trappings there in terms of like oh I'll audition for you Mm. and everything but it was it was very like oh what what's around what can I what can I use to you know to make this into a more splashy stagey show yeah and then when she started doing the impressions and popping in and out of those doors it was hilarious god (laughs) I was already in a slightly sort of like tizzy as it was being like oh we're getting a number she's doing a (laughs) bit backstage trying to be a Broadway baby and then out pops her Ethel Merman and then out comes Mae West and then we get a Marilyn (laughs) it was just ah <laughs> it was amazing. When I saw her as Mae West, I thought, has she borrowed like one of Connie Stevens' wigs? <laughs> <laughs> I was quite worried about that wig. It was so enormous. I was like, that's going to topple over. If she moves her head too much, that is going flying. I tell you what, though, if you see video or pictures of Mae West, because she did live into the 70s and she was still performing. That hair is almost bang on. <laughs> <Very true. laughs> Maybe she did borrow it from Mae West then. <laughs> it's got a timeshare. Why don't you come up and borrow my wig sometime? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> when she did her Marilyn and Kermit was covering his eyes, I was like, oh, that's so cute. <laughs> He's a modest little frog. He is. He is a modest little frog. It's to excuse himself. <laughs> <laughs> Although I realise I just took the piss out of uh, Rob Marshall. But actually, the way that the musical number ended, with the camera kind of panning out and these big mm. round bulbs all lining the stage, and then we pan further yes. back to the crowd of Muppets applauding her. Actually, it does blur that line of reality of, oh, was this the <laughs> opening number the whole time? Or are we within the real Muppet world? But I loved it and it gave such a, I don't know, verve and energy to the opening and it just felt more slick and professional and we weren't relying on any dumb puns. Like, it was just really cool and it just made me really excited for what else was going to come in the episode. Yeah, it was really, really, I think slick's the right word. It just Mm. felt like using the star in a really intelligent way and then also making the most of the Muppet world that that they're in and I did feel a little bit when it with the with the flashing bulbs around the outside I loved that I thought that was like a really really nice touch it obviously was blurring that line between like oh is it backstage or is it actually the stage or what but I did feel the the shot of all the Muppets watching her like I liked it I I actually I really liked it as an image But in terms of it sort of breaking the fourth wall a little bit, it took me out of it a little bit because obviously whenever we've seen the backstage area before, we always just see it like with the with Kermit's desk Mm. and the the kind of three platform levels and whatever. And suddenly seeing all those Muppets there, like that was obviously outside of that soundstage, wasn't it? Like that was just on the floor in front of it. And I was like, this space doesn't exist. Like in the actual (laughs) in the actual theatre, this space doesn't exists that's a that's a brick wall there yeah so that i i i liked that they did it but there was there was like a split second of me being like oh what am i meant to be thinking about this Mm. because actually it's not it's not in keeping with the realism of the show but i i i don't have a problem with them breaking that at all it was just that like 
that little moment in my brain going like, oh, this doesn't, this is something completely new and different. It reminded me a bit of the uh, new thing they're kind of doing on SNL now, where before they sort of cut to the break, when the sketch finishes, they're pulling out. So you can see Mm -hmm. the other cameras and you see, you know, whoever those runners are coming in and getting them into a different costume. Yeah. And it, it is strange even for something like SNL, where obviously it's it's sketch, you're just building a world in six minutes and you move on to the next one. That uh, sudden distancing from your accepted reality yeah. within the world, watching something on television, buying into the idea that these people are real and these situations are happening. It is funny how just a little shift like that can uh, make a difference. I know what you mean. I'll be interested to see whether they continue to do that kind of blurring or whether this is just a a one-off. I mean, we know the Muppets are famous for trying something, dropping it, putting in something (laughs) else and then forgetting it entirely. So who knows, to be honest. (laughs) Well, and it might also be that they decide to actually extend that backstage world more thoroughly. I mean, not necessarily saying that that space is going to become something, but it, it might be the case that we get a more fleshed out version of backstage rather than just... What have we had at the moment? We've had two dressing rooms and mm. that little area that we always see. The wings, Jade. Well, the, the wings. Wing. Yes. Sorry, Lewis. <laughs> Stage right. It's not explicitly... I mean, it. yes, it is the wings, but we don't ever see it, like, literally with the wings of the arch or anything, though, do very we? Very true. Very true. I, I, I shall concede. But <laughs> No, no, you're right. I mean, it is, it is, it is the wing, but it's not... Again, that could be another view that we see, is actually mm. looking either from that point of view out onto the stage or back again. We've only had that a couple of times, but it's normally Kermit sort of just popping his head round the edge of it, isn't it? Mm. It was just lovely to see it as something different. And then also to have, it really did set up the runner, I think, throughout yeah. the throughout mm. the whole episode, even though actually the runner was with Statler. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, that, that yes. didn't get introduced until the end of... Broadway baby. There are a few things I have found more alarming than seeing Statler out of his box. <laughs> and just walking around on his really long legs. His <laughs> legs. His <laughs> legs. He needs to go and have a word with Juliet Prouse because, like, <laughs> they're so long. <laughs> I couldn't work out if it's that thing, you know, when <laughs> old people just have their trousers, like, really high up their waist. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Whether it was an optical illusion, but no, they were just really long legs. It's bizarre when you think he's meant to be fitting into that box. Like, where does it, where do his legs go? Just tuck them under the chair or something. Um, before we move on uh, to talk more about the uh, the rest of the runner and stuff, I did just want to acknowledge that the show acknowledged the amount of explosions they've been having lately mm. because George has been I having know. to <laughs> clean up after them. Yes. I was like, oh, they are aware that this is a high volume of <laughs> explosions that we seem to be having. And there are ramifications for it too. It's not just like explosion, move on. You know, George is cleaning up. Oh. <laughs> There was was it only that one explosion in this episode though? I think it was. I think it was. Maybe they got to the end of their uh, use by yeah. gelatine, <laughs> gel ignite or whatever it is. Also, Valerie be crazy. She put a bunch of bird seed onto her, yes! her rival act. I know. <laughs> I was like, hold on, what was happening? I was like, I need to listen to this again. Is is she saying what I think she just said? Yep, she did say that. <laughs> she tippy headrin to someone. She. she... <laughs> They birded a man to death. 
I don't think you could make that joke now. I think you'd have like oh yeah, Peter or the could. RSPA after you. Well, it's <laughs> she's not harming the birds. The birds are harming the yeah. It was an it was a a bird that was meant to be singing. No, it was a woman with some singing birds, and she just attached the bird seed to the woman so she would be attacked by the geese. She was being birded to death. Like Kate McKinnon says in that Birds parody from SNL, which was my favourite thing of all time. I thought, hold on, I'm just checking. I thought the lead singer of the group was a bird. Well, even if it was, it's just bird on bird action. (laughs) 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 Oh, it doesn't, it doesn't say, but it's okay. It's Bertha Beasley and her galloping geese. Well, there you go. I assumed Bertha was a human. I assumed Bertha was a bird. I thought it was some. I thought it was like Jade. That's birds ludicrous. Attacking birds. <laughs> <laughs> How is it ludicrous? This is the Muppet Show. <laughs> <laughs> Camilla is a primary, uh, a primary female Muppet, and you know <laughs> she definitely ain't no woman. <laughs> she's all chicken. <laughs> she does, but she wears an evening know. gown. I don't know. <laughs> like who knows. <laughs> We'll never know about poor Bertha Beasley and her galloping geese who were birded to death. He was birded to death. Birds. <laughs> Sorry, did you just <laughs> softly whisper the word birds to the telephone? <laughs> anyway, speaking of more madness, Swedish Chef was back. Yes, he was back. Mm-hmm. I was so excited. Emma, what did you think of Swedish Chef's... Uh, I, I mean, was he just trying to show us how to decorate a cake? Was that what this was? Yeah, I, I think so. It was kind of a bit random, wasn't it? The little <laughs> chocolate cake. And then he was squirting the cream on it and then trying to put the cherries and then throw... I'm not sure if that was meant to be salt or sugar or what. <laughs> he didn't know what it was behind his head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was such a dramatic kind of flick. It, it was. was. Yes. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then... I don't know what happened. The the cake kind of started well. I don't know what exactly it was meant to be talking, but <laughs> I read that it was uh, apparently the cake is talking in Japanese. Apparently, okay. Oh, I I could not find a reason for why that was, or <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, but yeah, apparently that's that's the language the cake was talking. So we are finally getting a merging of the sentient food and yeah. Swedish chef finally coming together. Albeit there is still a language barrier at the moment. Yes. <laughs> yeah. They cannot directly communicate because <laughs> Swedish Chef was having to look in his uh, language dictionary to try and <laughs> communicate. <laughs> Talk to the cake, yeah. I thought it was really random how his like solution to it was to bring out a massive baseball bat and like hit it. You mean a cake and schmoosher? Cake and schmoosher? Yeah. Cake and schmoosher. Cake smoosher. And also I was trying to work out how much of that puppet was a puppet and how much of it was a cake? Or did they just do a really quick cut? Because when he smooshed it, there was some sponge. There was a really quick cut because I, um, obviously it was a puppet. It was moving around. And yeah. then and then suddenly there was cake everywhere. And then yeah. also I loved the end shot because you saw the hole where the puppeteer's hand yeah. had been. The hand was. <laughs> yeah, just like I a know. hole in the table. Like, no, no, nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. Uh. I thought that the, the actual cake puppet was really clever though, I thought, because obviously... There was nothing to sort of suggest that it was a puppet until it turned round and then suddenly started. And and the fact that they used the layers of the cake as the mouth. Mm. I just thought it was it was a clever bit of design and it was fun because you, mm. you did not see it coming. And, and not least because obviously we haven't had that sort of sentient food with Swedish Chef 
all that much yet. So yeah, I was, I mean, it's just nice to see him. I don't feel like we've seen him in ages. I know. It was really fun to see him again and just being as like madcap as ever. And not shooting anything still. Just just hitting it with a baseball bat. That was refreshing. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't murder. It was just assault. (laughs) I don't know. I don't think there was much of that cake left once he'd cake and schmooshed it. It was a sad waste of sponge though. (laughs) It looked very moist. (laughs) R.I.P. <laughs> that 1977 cake. <laughs> as soon as I yelled cut, I would have swooped in and just... <laughs> I am. Not, it is not beneath me to eat some <laughs> destroyed set cake that has been just smooshed <laughs> onto a desk by a puppet. I just, it's still good. It's still good. Just try and like scrape some crumbs onto a plate off the table. <laughs> I'll get rid of this. <laughs> Stuff it into my mouth as fast as possible. After Swedish Chef, we got a little tiny bit of Gonzo <laughs> introducing Statler to the runner backstage, saying like, oh, yeah. "One of the hecklers has turned up." It's <laughs> like, like, why is Gonzo answering the door? Like, well, he's got nothing he... else to do at the moment, well, apparently. Give Gonzo something else to do than just answering the damn door. Also, did either of you actually realise that that was like the outside door? Because before this episode. I just assumed it, I don't know, I guess I thought maybe it went down to like a basement or under yeah, the stage I, or something. I, I didn't even realise that was a door. <laughs> I'm sure that, I feel like that's a new thing. <laughs> I think it has been there. I just don't think they've ever used it in any capacity before. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it. It's kind of like when the den room in The Simpsons occasionally pops up in certain seasons and when people try and do a diagram of the Simpsons house they have to do this almost floating room that (laughs) sometimes is there and sometimes isn't that's how I felt about that door (laughs) has it been there has it always led that way but uh further uh legitimacy to my theory that uh, Statler and Waldorf were gay because he went on a date with Lionel Barrymore. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. And then they like doubled down on it because then he said that they didn't dance much either. And I was like, Wink. is that a reference to like what else she got up to? Or am I reading too much into this? Or like... there, look, when it comes to gay subtext, you can never read enough. <laughs> to be honest, I think you should read it into everything. <laughs> there is war and peace there. <laughs> And then also the fact that he had his bush and they kept saying the word bush over and over again. Like, <laughs> Yeah, there was the bush stuff and then there was also in the first sketch, I think George said something along the lines of like somebody being blown backstage. <laughs> and I was like, been there. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Emma, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm mortified. I'm so sorry. I didn't even think. We... No. I don't know if it's worse that we can't see Emma or better. I think it's. I'm glad I cannot look in my sister's eyes right now. I feel like it's better you can't see me. We can discuss whether we keep this in or not. (laughs) Anyway. Yes, there was a lot of accidental innuendo in this episode, and right now... It was raunchy. It was. I don't know if it was necessarily meant to be, but it just seemed to keep, like, 
Every time you thought you were maybe away from a little bit of innuendo, like, oh, there's another bit. And then when the plant started growing and George said something like, it reminds me of my brother-in-law. I was yes. like, I beg your pardon. I I wondered, was that, I wasn't sure whether he was saying Statler reminded him of his brother-in-law or the plant reminded him. But I think it was the plant. Yeah, which is, what is that? It, just that he's tall or what else was he implying? I think Statler said something along the lines of he eats everything in sight or something like that. And I think oh. that was what the joke was, but it was okay. a little bit oh. strange. Because the plant was just extending and growing and I was a bit like, come again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. But um, it was a bit of a crazy runner, this idea that this plant was just growing about backstage. It just kind of happened. And then when they got to the end, it seemed to have just been dealt with. (laughs) I thought it was really cool because I thought, like, I loved that it took over the whole of the backstage area. And they'd actually... Oh, that was very gorgeous. Well, it was gorgeous, but also that, like, again, just that idea of, like, the complexity level raising mm. up you know we've not really seen that like we've had episodes i don't know like the the episode where all the pigs seem to be taking over the muppet show or things like that but like we've not actually obviously had anything yet where like the set mm. changes or or i don't know gets modified in any no, way no i know what you mean like, i liked that it it did that it's so yeah. different that we haven't seen and it added stakes to the mm. yes. situation but that's what i sort of missed at the end where it suddenly seemed to have just been like oh yeah, that's fine, we've sorted yeah. it, and here's a little baby one. I was like, oh no, I kind of almost wanted to see it spill out onto, on stage. Like you yes. see maybe just a couple of vines in the back of another yeah. sketch or something, even if they don't directly have it growing through every sketch, just to see that kind of continued link. Or maybe to have one final scene where like Sweetums or Thog or one of the other enormous Muppets turns up and just sort of like bats it all away or gets out a flamethrower and just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it all just disappears Torches like it. yeah i know what you mean it I, but i suppose that again also actually felt quite sitcom to me not that you didn't get a sense of resolution but actually just that like ne- you know next episode everything's going to be back to normal yes back to the status yeah. quo back to yeah. zero yeah. it was just it was just a bit of fun that statler bought his bush in and it overtook <laughs> overtook the theatre and that's that's it you know um but i know i i do like it would have been fun to see a few vines kind of creeping out especially just even for the goodbyes at the end there yeah um and and also i just to just to jump forward a little bit but kermit in that hat when he had to like cut through it to get to his desk oh i know (laughs) so cute He was so cute. Kermit's doing the Jungle Cruise. Yes, he's the skipper. Oh, skipper. <laughs> and then we got a little Tarzan yell as well. I was like, "We're on the great movie ride." <laughs> Quick, Lewis, where's your outfit? <laughs> I do have an explorer outfit, actually, <laughs> from oh a God. different immersive bar I worked at at one point. I have, I kept the jodpers. <laughs> you never know when you'll need jodpers. <laughs> We had a return of Muppet Newsman. Twice in this episode. I know, couldn't get enough of him. (laughs) I thought this was a pretty solid joke. Me too. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Another excellent accent as well. Emma, could we work out where she was from? Well, I was going for like a kind of a New York, Boston accent, maybe. Jill Zarin. Oh yeah, I could see that. (laughs) She's, I think she is a New Yorker by birth, but this was... Mrs. Klinger was meant to be from Milwaukee. Oh. 
Is that like Midwest? Yes. I'm not very good. I actually have no idea where Milwaukee is. And I can't be bothered to Google. So, <laughs> but no, great joke. And, you know, just a classic kind of 1970s style punchline. Why are you divorcing him? Well, he doesn't match the drapes, you know. <laughs> great. Good joke. That was a little bit raunchy as well, wasn't it? Like the, the carpet and drapes line. I think that's just your filthy mind, Jade. Fine, I'll take it. <laughs> You're co- corrupting our innocent... <laughs> innocent ears i don't know if you're gonna keep that other bit in lewis but yeah but in i'd like you to keep this in of me saying mm, mm, to that okay okay <laughs> i also really liked that it started of like she said that he grew a little bit of shag pile on his belly and then it just like kept growing from there like, uh, do you know, like, it just <laughs> the visual was quite yeah. quite amusing that's very 70s yeah. isn't it like a shag pile yes. carpet and she said he had a bit of fringing <laughs> as well i was like <laughs> i can just imagine this in your conversation pit conversation pit <laughs> conversation pits need to come back they're amazing. <laughs> they look so cool. And one of those sort of like freestanding central coal fire yes. things. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. Of course. Although maybe not coal in these days. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a bioefficient fuel. <laughs> it's the 70s. I'm using my Farrah Fawcett destroying the ozone hairspray. I've got my coal <laughs> fire going. <laughs> We're going to live forever. <laughs> going to live forever until that... Uh, until the energy shortage hits in a few years. Oh yeah, years. the winter of our discontent. <laughs> <laughs> Three day week. Trash piling up, but we, we just fill your conversation pit with trash. <laughs> <laughs> what did you both think of Rolf's poem? Oh, I love Rolf. <laughs> <laughs> we know, that wasn't quite the question I asked him about. <laughs> Uh, no, but I do. And I, I thought the... Um... Again, not the question I asked her. <laughs> she doesn't care, Lewis. She's going to tell you she loves Rolf every episode yeah. that he appears, okay? <laughs> He's got to deal with it. I thought it was really sweet. I thought it was really funny as well with like the giant butterfly came on with the net and like snatched him. <laughs> I was quite alarmed by the big butterfly because I wrote, I looked down to write a note and then I looked up and then suddenly there was this enormous <laughs> butterfly behind Rolf. So for me, it was basically a jump scare. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> Look out, Rolf, he's behind you. The butterfly was actually a bit creepy, like, because they'd given it like a proper like face yeah. and everything because it was big enough to have it. Yeah. The cute little one that was floating around. I was like, the that's The Florence right. Henderson butterfly. Yeah. I thought there was, because the poem he said about there being... Well, he said about there being lots of butterflies, but then they didn't come. So I was like, oh, okay, I understand why we haven't got lots of butterflies. Like, I thought maybe he was going to be birded by the butterflies, you know. Um, but Flapped then when to death. <laughs> that giant one turned up, I was, you know, it didn't cause me to jump, but I did sort of go like, Ugh, it's a little bit, a little bit creepy. I, <laughs> I was watching a bit of the Muppets Walt Disney World special the other day. <gasps> and in that, when Rolf goes to the veterinary center he gets um taken by a net a net why did she do that <laughs> um, so uh yes where <laughs> so <laughs> to see rolf get get a <laughs> sorry i'm just <laughs> carry on <laughs> lewis has had some shit. chocolate <laughs> <laughs> i'm pecked up on sugar i'm like um, emma in an after dark episode I'm just... this is what actually happens when he eats some carbs jade <laughs> <laughs> it's been a 
long lockdown, okay? <laughs> We're just trying to get back to a public-facing weight that we <laughs> in our stupid brain are happy with. <laughs> I've got high-waisted trousers to wear. <laughs> You're going to look like Statler. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, to get back to what I was saying, what I was saying was that it was a bit much to see Rolf get caught in a net twice in one week. It's just... <laughs> trauma <laughs> was a little bit traumatic for me <laughs> dog napped now i don't know about you two though i kind of felt like this what was actually the uk spot with rolf and sam the eagle and then also the searching song when i first watched it like i kind of felt like any of those three could have been the uk spot like i knew this wasn't because kermit introduced it and obviously they never introduce the uk spot I know we've got the ballroom and stuff, so I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I don't know what you both felt like. I kind of felt like all three of those sketches had that kind of UK sport energy in a way. Yes, I know what you mean. Weirdly, the thing that struck me from this point onwards is that we didn't get Valerie Harper no. for about seven to ten minutes. Yeah, at least. She fully felt like she had disappeared. Yeah. She'd gone. Was... She'd gone. <laughs> She's booked and busy. <laughs> she said she was on hiatus from Rhoda, but she was in fact not. They were shooting their London special. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, turned out those costume changes between Berman, uh, May West and Marilyn actually took a lot longer than they anticipated. Well, the, I guess there might have been that. <laughs> Eight into the shooting days. <laughs> And they were they something were like, like, Rolf needs to read a poem. <laughs> like, we need oh my to God. <laughs> <laughs> She's still in the Merman wig. We don't have time. <laughs> the only thing I would say about the UK spot with, obviously, Sam and Ralph. Rolf. So I said Ralph. Sorry, Rolf. I mean, Rolf. He can't hear you, Emma. <laughs> I know. Was that I thought Sam was quite happy until, obviously, he realised what he had to say. <laughs> and then... I thought it was quite funny how he kept looking backstage. Oh like he was it like, was really? Amazing. It was so funny. <laughs> it was really funny. And it sort of reminded me of, you know, um, in When Harry Met Sally and Billy Crystal's trying to get Meg Ryan to do the impressions and she looks off camera to say like, really? Do I have to do this? And then obviously she does it. Like yeah. that is a point in the film when they said she looked at the director yeah, and was she, like, really? And I, Reiner, it just made yeah. me think of that. <laughs> when I was watching Sam, but he was like, is this cultural? Is this going to make me look good? And then Rolf was, Rolf was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it was, it was his reactions were really funny. I mean, we're in and talking about it. We'll jump back to the ballroom in a second because, you know, I I agree. I mean, what a cultural episode. We had Stephen Sondheim and then we had uh, the Mikado. The Mikado out of nowhere. I know. <laughs> I loved Sam this week and it was so nice to see him freed from introducing Wayne and Wanda, although he still had to do that, or just being a panellist and actually just seeing him get to do a proper kind of sketch or song, I guess. But even so, it was just, I loved it. I really loved it. And he's such a good puppet. There are so many almost gifable moments of him just looking around being like, God's sake, it was wonderful. Uh, so what do I do here? Oh, Sam, you just play the part of the bird. I mean, it's not written for an eagle, but... Uh... Well, is this cultural? Oh, yeah, this is light opera. Mm. Gilbert and Sullivan. Mm. Begin. <clears throat> On a tree by the river, a little tom tit sang... Oh, this is your part, Sam. <laughs> willow, tit willow, tit willow. Mm -hmm. And I said to him, Dickie Bird, 
That's you, Sam. You, you play the part. Uh, why do you sit singing? Dickie Bird. <sighs> Willow, Ted Willow, Ted Willow. Is it weakness of intellect, Bernie? I cried. Uh, not meaning you. Mm, yes, yes. Or a rather tough worm in your little inside. With a shake of his poor little head, he replied, uh, Willow, tit willow, tit willow. Well, one of the things that I don't know if you two noticed, but this is actually the first use of the new Sam the Eagle puppet. And when he introduced Wayne and Wonder, it was actually the old Sam the Eagle puppet. And if you compare them, there's huge differences. So I think one of the things with this new one, for a start, is that he's really expressive with his eyes. Mm. His eyes are moving around. And I think obviously that gives, you know, so much more characterization to, to what he's mm. doing. But also like, he's just gorgeous. The second, the second one's obviously like much more what we all know now. But like the finish on it is just so much nicer. It's a than... very handsome puppet. It's, it's a, it's a, you know, he's a regal eagle at the end a of the regal day. regal you know? eagle. <laughs> Oh. But when you look back at when he introduces Wayne and Wonder, like he's just a bit more like thuggish, and that's not a <laughs> word I would actually use to describe him. But if you compare the two Muppets, like he's just not as refined. Mm. He's not as there's ju there's just not that sort of finesse to him. But you totally get that in the UK sport, and I just loved this. I absolutely loved it. Like I was gutted when I when I checked to see what was the UK sport, and I was like why is this the UK spot? Like, this is so much fun. This is great interplay. Like, Jim and Frank having clearly a really jolly good time together doing <laughs> doing Tit Willow from the Mikado. I really, really enjoyed it. And I loved, like, all of Sam's reactions, but especially when he looked around over his shoulder and was like, you want to do this? And, like, and then at the end, he was like, why are they laughing? It was just brilliant. I just really, really did thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy it. Um, you know, he still then had to introduce Wayne and Wanda, but it was like, ugh, fine, you got you got to have a bit of fun with Rolf, so it's all good. I'm afraid we do have to step back and <laughs> discuss the ballroom sketch. Although it wasn't too bad this week. We got our favourite blonde screaming Harridan going back. <laughs> Always a delight. <laughs> She is amazing. I really, like, even when the ballroom sketch goes away, I hope they find a use for her elsewhere on the show because she's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> Peter was actually making us breakfast while I was uh, watching The Muppet Show this morning. And when he heard her voice, he came from the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> she's back! <laughs> and I love that the punchline of her saying, what's the problem? Was, she's too introverted. Yeah. I was like... You're so right. I'm so introverted. <laughs> Didn't know I could do that voice. <laughs> Didn't know that octave was available to me. <laughs> Add it to the CV, Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. I actually didn't find this one too bad. I didn't mind the animal joke about being in a home. I thought that was that was all right. And then we still got a dip at the yeah. end of it, which is always, always fun. Um, the... The zoo and Janice music, this music's garbage, and then the lettuce falling, like, I could have probably done without that, but a bit of lettuce falling in Zoot's face was mildly amusing, so fine. 
um, the <laughs> the Doctor Teeth and Mildred was just odd because in what universe did Doctor Teeth and Mildred hang out together? Like I just I don't know. There was a dissonance there that I was struggling with slightly. I like the kind of odd couple pairing of the two. <laughs> I'd like to see them have to deal with some sort of mistaken identity. Uh, crime they didn't commit, <laughs> you know, on the run from the law kind of scenario. <laughs> I'd watch Dr. Teeth and Mildred, you know, in a convertible being, we didn't rob the bank. <laughs> <laughs> All I noticed really in that bit between Mildred and Dr. Teeth was the way his blue eyelids shot up and then shot back down again. It was such a little expressive moment to land the joke slash threat i can't remember quite what it was. it was a total threat he said to her like you need to take out an insurance policy yeah. <laughs> he's coming for you mildred careful <laughs> that's the movie dr Teva's seducing mildred <laughs> seducing or just <laughs> to, to then murder her to murder her yeah, okay of course. okay of course to murder okay. her jade <laughs> sorry that was the bit that i wasn't wasn't sure where you were going <laughs> No, I wasn't doing when Dr. Teeth met Mildred. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and then it finished with the... <sighs> with the little frackle getting his head knocked off by a baseball bat, which, I mean... Yeah. <laughs> fine. All right. <laughs> fine. <laughs> it's quite random to see the reappearance of the baseball bat again. Obviously, it was like a two-for-one sale or something. <laughs> They decided to use it again, that poor little blue frackle. One of the writers had some sort of rage they specifically wanted (laughs) to... Yeah, I think there was some rage that was going, (laughs) being used. But yeah, no, I thought it was okay. And, you know, especially considering ones we've had in the past, I didn't think it wasn't amazing, but it wasn't like a really bad one. So yeah, it was was an okay at the dance. (laughs) It was. It was fine. It was perfectly serviceable and... What's this? Episode 20. We've got four more. Yeah. Right? Four more. And then it's gone. And then we can... Oh, I feel like we should have some, like, fizz ready for when we reach the last ever uh, boring sketch that we can pop on microphone. (laughs) (laughs) I also think maybe... Well... I don't know, we can talk about this off air because I know we've got some plans maybe for the end of the season anyway, but just specifically with the ballroom, maybe when we get to that final episode, we can we should all share just our favourite ballroom pun from the whole season, just oh, to prove geez. that there was at least potentially three good puns, although we might all come up with the same one, which would just prove there was one good pun, but that's still fine. Jade, I, lo- I love that you think I have some sort of mental capacity to have retained any of this. <laughs> Instead of it immediately being deleted from my brain the moment we stop recording. Okay, the one that springs to mind for me is the little the little blonde one and her. I applied for a job at the library. Oh no, I <laughs> the only one that was also in my head was, I was a librarian. Well, there you go then. So it's one. <laughs> <laughs> it's one joke that we've enjoyed this entire time. Oh, well, now we can skip that segment. So, okay. That's fine. That segment's done. <laughs> oh dear. Now, we mentioned innuendo and (laughs) slightly, uh, you know, horny nature of parts of this episode, intentionally or otherwise. Cutting to three dodgy men in a bush. (laughs) (laughs) At first, I was like, are they cruising for one another? Or, oh, no, we're looking for a woman. (laughs) Great. So they're just trying to track down a woman in this bush, forest, glen. I don't know. 
and Mary Louise whatnot running around in a toga as well. Why is she Why? wearing a toga? Why is she in a toga? And I also thought, like, those whatnots, their eyes were so creepy. <laughs> that freaked me out. And like, to be honest, the first time I watched it, I couldn't really get past their, like, red pupils. But when I, um, when I looked up about the episode, they were actually performed in the same way that the um, snouts are. They were performed simultaneously by Richard Hunt. So he had each of them on what like on both of his arms oh did you not figure that honestly lewis as i said i didn't really get past how creepy they look uh. to start with like i was genuinely quite disturbed by them i was trying to like figure out what they were i guess yeah. basically <laughs> like i was like why do they look like that yeah it, it, it looked very dodgy <laughs> <laughs> was so strange and they also kept like getting hit in the head by the bush didn't they like you could tell like yeah a couple of times the set actually obscured the view of mary louise whatnot so yeah it almost didn't land every so often yeah a bit of an odd one a catchy enough song and what is the name of the chap from electric mayhem who's also in this floyd 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 for goodness sake i can always just remember zoot's name which makes no sense because zoot you know it's hardly the (laughs) i loved floyd's jacket i want a sparkly military jacket somewhere between sergeant pepper and when cheryl cole released fight for this the two the two landmarks of 20th and 21st century pop culture <laughs> the beatles and cheryl cole cheryl nay cole. fernandez hissini nay tweedy <laughs> <laughs> oh that really tickled you <laughs> You went so seamlessly from like Sergeant Pepper to Cheryl Cole's fight for this love. Like it was like it's like something that you've thought about on many occasions. She was the moment. It was 2010. We all, you know, we'd forgotten her beating up a toilet attendant and we were ready for her solo career. <laughs> she's not gonna forgive you for mentioning a toilet attendant. Oh, she's too busy with baby bear. Oh, I can't even t- oh my god, was that my scouse accent? Oh my god. <laughs> The only thing I'm saying, Cheryl Cossack is limp, lifeless, when she's doing her L'Oreal adverts, or Garnier, or whatever it was. Oh. Can I just, I thought she was from Newcastle. Is she from Liverpool? Oh no, you're right, she is from Newcastle. Geordie accent is what you'd be going for oh, then, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <Oy>, you're Geordie. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Not one of my list of accents, you'll be relieved to hear. Thank Christ for that. <laughs> Can you imagine me being cautious of Geordie? Uh. Not not after that small rendition. No, I can't. Anyway, yes. uh, going back to, to searching. Um, yeah, I just... Well, one, I felt like it went on for too long. It was a very repetitive joke, wasn't it? Them obviously looking around and her keep popping up. Mm. And as you said, like the staging and the like even the framing at points it was not well done which was another reason that i wasn't sure whether this was the uk spot because obviously normally the uk spot is i think a one take wonder and then they're like right moving on Um, yeah it should have been this really i think yeah i think so i totally think so one thing i did just want to mention we do get some nice solo Waldorf moments through this episode by virtue of statler being uh backstage with his bush (laughs) 
when we cut to this little bit and he was like, I bet he can't do this. And then pulled that face. A little girl. Hilarious. And then when he decided he was going to tickle himself, like he was so happy. I think that's the happiest I've ever seen Wardorf. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, is it a worrying sign of potential senility? I don't know. (laughs) To be amusing oneself by tickling. (laughs) But yeah, he seemed to be having a nice time. He seemed to have, you know, a certain lightness to him that maybe he doesn't get to have when Statler is around. <laughs> I completely agree. I think he was having a whale of a time. He was like, I've got the books to myself. I can tickle myself. I'm fine. I'm here. I'm happy. And then we go from Waldorf having his, like, little time in the box to um, the introduction of uh, Bernie the Rabbit when we've got Valerie in the... Uh, the backstage area like doing her makeup and stuff and he comes in and he's like gives her a little egg and then Hilda's there and she's kind of like he's the Easter bunny and he's like oh what? No she says he's the Easter Bernie because his Bernie. name's Bernie. Okay that joke did not land and I was so confused <laughs> by this. They were talking about him as if we should have been aware of who Bernie was. <laughs> or, I was so- <laughs> I was so confused. He's been in a couple of episodes, but he's obviously Has he? Yeah, but like in the background mainly. Not he's not When? <laughs> um, I think he's in the Jim Neighbors episode. Oh, for God's sake, that was years ago. <laughs> well, you asked. Um and I think he's been in maybe one or two others, but I mean he's always been in the background. Like, yes, I'm with you, Lewis. She says his birdie, like we're meant to know who he is, and you're like, who's this damn rabbit? Like I've never seen him before. <laughs> because there was the joke about Easter. When I looked up when it was on, I was obviously expecting it to have been on around Easter time. No, no, second of January. You know, that that <laughs> like it, it, bizarre. It, 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 so confusing and then we had animal touching valerie harper inappropriately (laughs) and thank god she got to deck him (laughs) i found that more like the pinch line punchline thing i found more i guess a bit exasperating just like ugh, this is not particularly amusing and like you're just Mm. it just felt a bit like clutching at straws for something to do and like also why the hell was animal there and why was he hiding under her chair just to pinch her like eh, i don't know it was just i found this this whole little bit very strange yeah it was it was a strange little moment but it was to be honest it was just nice to see valerie because we hadn't seen her for about 10 minutes Uh, but in a slightly odd way. Before we move on, because I don't really think there's much else to say about this, I do just want to um shout out quickly that the puppeteer who was playing the Easter Bernie was John Lovelady, who was a puppeteer on this first season, who also played Crazy Harry. Emma, you, uh, you're a fan because he's the announcer for Veterinarian's Hospital. Aww. And he also, probably most disturbingly, he was the humanoid Muppet that um, did the tango with Rita Moreno in the, in the first episode. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> but I thought it was like, well, not that, I mean, I'm not a fan of the Easter Bernie, like, ugh, but I think... I still can't believe that's actually the joke. I know, <laughs> I'm it's still, so bad. I'm still kind of quietly reeling. <laughs> <laughs> it's just terrible. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to mention it because obviously we we haven't spoken about him previously on the show and uh i thought it was quite interesting that he's got these kind of 
bit parts, but actually like the announcer role, it's obviously a fairly major role when he is doing it, when we do get the sketch. Well, yes, clearly I've missed out on this lead character, Bernie, that I should have been fully, (laughs) fully familiar with. I don't think anyone's saying he's a lead character, Lewis. (laughs) The show was implying it. (laughs) I think the show was just trying to big up Bernie. (laughs) Another character who we may never see again, who seemed to get a little bit of extra time this week, was Wanda. She had a nice little moment screaming at the... uh, At the plant. plant, And a proper, like, theatrical arms up, kind of like... And also that was just before they were due on stage. So she must have been fully freaked out because she was like, I'm not even going to make it. Not even going to make it to the stage this week. This plant, (laughs) this bush is going to get in my way. (laughs) She was not having it. (laughs) For God's sake, I never get through a number. And then we get their number. And (laughs) I mean, this one really was like, why would somebody have painted a chemical refinery in the back of this? I thought it was I hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. As soon as I obviously saw the factory, like, immediately, I was like, <laughs> it's either going to explode, or there's going to be too much smoke, or there's going to be, like, I mean, surely there's not going to be chemical burns, but maybe there are going to be chemical burns. <laughs> it was hysterical. Like, why paint this bucolic scene and then add a... <laughs> manufacturing plant it just made no sense at all i did still laugh but it really was kind of on the theory that we've had that now they're just deliberately trying to sabotage wayne of wonder some set decorator decided i know what to fuck them up and they just painted this you know refinery in the background and knew they were just going to pour noxious gas you know onto stage and that Wayne and Wanda clearly had not questioned why there was a refinery painted on nope, their backdrop. Nope. Also, the like the smoke from it had already started to fill the screen basically before they'd even got to like on a clear day you can see forever. Like I think they were on I don't even know if they were on the A of that <laughs> by the time the smoke had filled the screen. It was already a disaster. I was gonna say, like, whatever like stage hand was on the smoke machine was over it before they even started. <laughs> just like these two hacks yeah. get them off <laughs> perhaps they're just so oblivious they're so uh focused on one another that they didn't even take in the set itself to question it and so then when the smoke was already there perhaps they thought oh maybe it's for atmosphere <laughs> <laughs> until they could no longer breathe or see one another oh, again there's not many Wade and wonders left so uh <laughs> make the most <laughs> i did feel though like this, to be honest, this whole section leading up to the final number, there were so many kind of little bits mm. and it was very choppy. And yeah. we did have the bits back and forth backstage, but actually like even having those extra bits with Valerie Harper backstage, like that was weird because like those bits with her with the ma- in the makeup room had nothing to do with... The Statler the plant runner. growing stuff. Yeah. She did not interact with the plant growing business at all. So even when she walked on at the end or got gifted the plant, mm. for, for as far as she was aware, <laughs> nothing's <laughs> been happening at all. No, no, nothing. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. This episode actually went super fast. Like, mm. And I did, I did thoroughly enjoy it. But on reflection, I was a bit like, oh, this is actually a bit odd. Like you've got some really, really great narrative and character work going on. But then on stage, that's in quote marks, like 
it's very choppy. It's all very, very disparate. Everything's sort of yeah. staying in its own section. And we've mentioned before how sometimes the host has been a good conduit for mm. leading A plots and B plots together or, you know, moving us through, like in the Lena Horn episode. Whereas this, it felt like Valerie Harper arrived and then she was shunted elsewhere and then <laughs> used in a couple of tiny moments and then brought on for the finale, which is a shame because she was such a great game guest. I mean, I feel we still got a lot from her, but God, we could have had even more. We could have had so much. Like those little moments, other other than obviously that first moment that she did backstage, the other two, the one with Hilda and then the one where she's talking to Kermit about the clodhoppers. Like, it's just like a little bit something of nothing for me, mm. really. And it would have been so much more fun to see her... Again, even if the even if the plant had like started to go into her dressing room, yeah. like she doesn't necessarily need to be back in the wing, as we now know it is. Um, <laughs> um, you know, like I think I, I just it was she felt so separated from from all of the other Muppets, basically. Like I didn't I didn't really understand it. Mm. Maybe it was like you said, Lewis. Maybe doing all of the like the hair and makeup for the impersonations took way longer than they'd anticipated or something. Maybe they only had her for a day. Do you know what I mean? Maybe they, you know, if they if they film over three, four days and maybe she was only available for half that time, maybe all of her stuff did have to be in a, a block almost. And, you know, maybe the set wasn't fully done to be decorated or in the time they'd have with her, they wouldn't be able to have her arriving in the empty set cover it with all the ivy and then use her as well so they actually just had to have her arrival and mm. then have her in a dressing room for her other scenes and then obviously the dance number that she does yeah i think it must have just been a case of timing again i have of muppets and men sitting right there on my shelf i really should take a flick through <laughs> and see if there was some tidbits or information i promise i will read it before we start season two <laughs> <laughs> right we're gonna hold you to that yeah um, <laughs> to be a long summer break <laughs> there's a lot of books piled up on my bedside table right of muppets and men needs to go up that list lewis <laughs> i've still got a jfk autobiography to finish <laughs> we know how it finishes it's fine um <laughs> jesus jade sorry <laughs> no, I loved it, but also like that was that was firing all cylinders today. Uh, <laughs> Rich went to London yesterday, and I made him go to Crosstown Donuts, and I definitely had a donut at lunch, and I think the sugar <laughs> is coursing through my veins. It's fine. <laughs> Welcome to my world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Emma, diabetes. I think we're lucky. I don't have your uh, your testing kit at the moment. I think it would currently be like, yep, you're diabetic. Please go to the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Your blood is actually Krispy Kreme icing. Yeah, it might as well be, I think. <laughs> it's frosting. It's, it's just it's, red Betty Crocker frosting. It's just frosting. Yeah, and then after that, we also have a tiny little news flash, which seemed a little bit pointless, to be completely honest. <laughs> mm. It did. But I still enjoyed seeing him. Yeah, there was no gag. There was no nothing. It kind of felt a little bit of filler. And then we go from that into Valerie's big number in her like green pantsuit oh, with the uh, the clod hoppers, which looked kind of a bit weird. They looked like a mixture of like Elmo and like a weird kind of, not Elmo, sorry. What's the other, the blue um, Sesame Street? Grover. Grover, sorry. Yeah, Grover. 
And it reminded me a little bit of like the Bruce Forsyth um, episode where he does his number with Gorky Bird because obviously she's reacting and they're reacting to her. Probably not as well done. And it seems at times it does seem like Valerie's kind of like looking off and being a bit like unsure of uh, what's happening. Oh, I thought, that but was the I thought point. it was quite good. It was quite solid. I mean, she does the splits at the end. I mean, come on. And she did kicks. She did a number of spins. She did a split and she was singing while she was doing those four kicks up into the air. Just like and up. I was very impressed. A wrong way to say it, a wrong way to play it. Nobody does it like me. If there's a wrong way to do it, a right way to mess it up, nobody does it like me. Keep it cool, a right way to be a fool. Nobody does it like me. So for me, she definitely was meant to look like she didn't know what she was doing. And I got that that was the joke. Yeah, because she directly addressed us before she went on, which was another weird little moment. (laughs) And also the name of the song is Nobody Does It Like Me. And all the lyrics were kind of around not doing things well, right? Mm. So I get all of that. But there was something quite non-committal for me about how she was performing it. And I don't know if it's just sort of because she was, I mean, maybe she is such a good actress, right? Maybe like, maybe I've just like completely bought into it. But I don't know, like I was getting a weird vibe from it. And again, the puppeteering of the Clodhoppers themselves I know it was missing that Muppet magic and finesse that we're used to. It was missing a little finesse. There was a few <sighs> times where the clodhoppers turned and you could see Yeah, the human where the Yeah. Well, yes. yeah, basically and where yeah. the join started yeah. and stuff, which mm. was a shame. And and I just like I don't know, there was something about I know they were obviously not meant to be particularly great either, but it just seemed a bit like they were just a bit shoddy rather than it necessarily kind of being played for like huge laughs. When I watched it the second time, I tried to really kind of focus in on exactly what it was that wasn't working for me. And I think it was also the framing of it. Now, I understand that because they were using like the black lighting, they were obviously a little bit limited with exactly what they could and couldn't do. But there was a really strange like side angled shot that was like quite zoomed in on just Valerie and like one of them at the end. And the angle was really odd and you could see the Muppet finished and the person was behind it. And I just don't think it was actually staged or conceived particularly well. And it did feel very, very rushed. Like, I don't know, like I just didn't, I did not love this at all. I wonder if it was just a case of timing again. Mm. Maybe they just did not have Valerie for as much time as Mm. they usually would. And she's a competent dancer, so they thought we'll do a dance number. But maybe there wasn't enough time to really fully rehearse it to the point where you can have those really sort of slick, good interactions where it's messy, but it's choreographed mess. Yeah. Like, like a farce where you're yeah. throwing things around and doors are opening and closing. Like, and it's all, um, you know, placed and thought through. And maybe even they decided, oh, we'll say that they're not good dancers. So then it doesn't matter if Valerie messes up in the limited time that we have or something. Do you know what I mean? Maybe they built it into the sketch to allow themselves a bit of uh, flexibility and a bit of um rush job <laughs> i can understand that they wanted to like 
they wanted to play on this like oh they're not a particularly great dance troupe and she I think she was obviously leaning into not yes. being very or like you know like she was saying essentially being a bit rusty and and kind of not being the best but uh, yeah I like exactly like you said like there was none of that kind of that sense of timing or none of that sense of I, di- I just didn't really feel like it was actually being played for laughs like it just did feel shoddy to me even the clodhoppers themselves just didn't look like particularly wonderful muppets i mean i found that really interesting that you just compared it to bruce and gawky bird because that to me is almost like the absolute opposite end of the scale in terms of how wonderfully that was all put together like beautiful puppet bruce at the top of his game really fantastic choreography between the two of them like the the set and the camera really playing up the size difference and their relationship and i don't know like this again like she didn't really have that much interaction with many muppets at all this is like her big number where she's actually interacting with the muppets and this is what we get like yeah as you said lewis like maybe she was there for like a day or something. I don't know. It's very, very strange. That all being said, I did still enjoy it. And Valerie's very game. And I, I just love seeing a woman in her mid thirties, early forties hoofing. I love a hoofer. <laughs> I do. So sue me. <laughs> Particularly in a gorgeous green billowy jumpsuit. The jumpsuit was great. I, I, I liked the jumpsuit. <laughs> it was fine. I just think she had a lot more to give. Basically, I think. <laughs> And I think they they didn't maximise that. Yes, I suppose when you've built an entire plot around, just give me a chance, you know, I want to be the star of whatever. And then halfway through, we get a bit, oh, I'm a bit rusty. It's a bit of an odd narrative choice. It's weird how much I enjoyed this episode, and yet we are finding quite substantial things to pick apart in it. <laughs> well, but I think that speaks something to, like, the... I don't know whether it's like the energy of the episode or that there are like there's enough fun things going on throughout it that it does keep you engaged. Like, I mean, I genuinely mm. felt like it zipped by when I watched it both times, to be mm. honest, both times I was like, oh, we're at the end already. Like, where's that kind of gone? There's a lot of fun stuff, like the opening being backstage and the runner being this very different kind of style of story and also using Statler out of his box. Like, there's just... There's enough engaging, interesting things going on to keep you with it, even if actually, to be honest, like, it's just weird that she's she's basically in the start of the episode and the end of the episode. And, like, she must be the host that's on screen the least amount of time of all of the hosts that we've seen so far. Like, she's barely in it. Mm. The only other comparison I can think of is actually, if you remember all that time ago when we watched the Rita Moreno episode. Mm, yes. Where she felt like she disappeared a bit in the middle. Yeah. But then her centralness in the sketches and songs that she did appear in then balanced it out in a way. And so maybe it's a case of that. When she was on, she was making an impression, particularly in the opening number. And then, you know, this end song, yeah, a bit messily edited. But look, she's still kicking and spinning and splitting. That that leaves an impression. And then, yeah, we just have, we feel her absence a lot more in the middle. But... Yeah, there we go. Let's move over. Uh, let's uh, let's move on to the end. Mainly because I just want to acknowledge how gorgeous her pussy bow blouse was. It was very nice. I want a pussy bow blouse. <laughs> can, you can get one. <laughs> I know. I wait. I keep looking, but they're so darned expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Treat yourself, Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> I will. <laughs> 
Yeah, she um she looked really she looked really lovely yeah. at the end. Emma, are you still here? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> hadn't heard from you in a while i just wondered if you'd like crashed or something either via computer or diabetes <laughs> <laughs> like because we can't see your camera like we, we you've just like slumped onto the desk or something and we're just fully underwear unaware and just chatting muppets while you just lie there helpless <laughs> Oh, no. The ending was quite sweet. I mean, I thought it was quite funny, though, that Statler finally thought he was getting his moment and going to ask Valerie out on a date. A nice steak dinner. (laughs) A steak dinner. And then I love how she's like, well, actually, I'm a vegetarian. (laughs) I just love the specificity of a nice steak dinner. (laughs) Uh, Did you both catch Statler saying hubba, hubba, hubba? Yeah, that was weird. Didn't like that. strange <laughs> upsetting yeah <laughs> i did enjoy fozzy trying to get him to leave though fozzy acting as bouncer just like you need to leave now <laughs> basically the only appearance we really got of fozzy he did say at one point that the um the bush had eaten his cue card so he couldn't go on tonight but yeah okay. other other than that but it was because george was in it because george was in yeah. most of the runner so frank was busy being george same as Piggy. Yeah, but we didn't get much fuzzy. We didn't get Piggy. Yeah, yeah exactly. It was such a... But, uh, but again, yeah. for that, considering like a lot of our key main Muppets weren't particularly present, such a fun episode still. Like, shows you yeah. you don't necessarily have to have... Yeah, definitely. ...the main three or four when Gonzo finally mm. becomes Gonzo <laughs> to make it work. I will be very interested to see how we're going to rank this episode because... Well, yeah, we came in on such a sort of high energy just off the joie de vivre it all. But actually, upon discussion, st- like there are bits that still need improvement. So yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to see what we're going to rank it. But first, we must do our MVMP, otherwise known as our Most Valued Muppet Performer. Emma, if you're still alive, <laughs> why don't you kick us off? This week, it was funny because I was kind of thinking of giving it to George but then I realized I've had have already done that so I'm gonna say my most valued Muppet performer this week is gonna be Statler yay yay I just think it's really nice to kind of see him backstage see him like interact with the other Muppets and not just like heckling from the box (laughs) um I just think he's he's quite funny and he's obviously just decided that this is his moment and he's gonna join and he's gonna try and get a date um with Valerie and I think it's just nice to just see a little bit more of his character and also equally we get to see a little bit more of like Waldorf's character as well and I think it's just nice because it just shows a little bit more of a development and gives you like a different kind of flavour to what we've seen throughout the, you know, the rest of the previous episode. So, yeah. So for this um, episode, my MVMP is Statler. How about you, Jade? So I was thinking about Statler too. And I just want to mention another bit that I meant to say earlier when with the Tarzan bit, he also mentioned about he was like, he better be a good dancer. And I was like, God, he's after Tarzan as well now. <laughs> anyway, <I'm> just <laughs> He's horny. He's out of his box and he's trying to get into somebody <laughs> just, else's. <laughs> generally horny. Um, so I just wanted to mention that. 
But I think if you're giving it to Statler, Emma, I'm going to give it to Sam the Eagle. Yay. Because, and I know I've given it to Sam the Eagle before too, but I really, really loved Tit Willow. I thought he was absolutely hysterical. It felt like the Sam the Eagle... Not that his character has particularly changed at all, because it obviously hasn't, but just that we got to see him doing something and it felt very, very in his wheelhouse and he just felt so sort of put out and confused and generally taken aback by the fact that Rolf had tricked him into doing this poem. And also the fact that we got to see the new Sam the Eagle puppet, which is gorgeous and so lovely and expressive and yeah I just I just really loved him in this episode and I'm also partly giving it to him because I do not think that Titwillow should have been the UK spot and I think they were robbed and I'm very glad that the whole world gets to see it now and not get cut off by pesky adverts so yes Sam the Eagle Lewis, who is your MVMP of this episode? I am also giving it to Sam the Eagle Ooh. it was just gorgeous performance and I dream of having that kind of comedic subtlety <laughs> and underplaying it but delivering I'm I'm too busy playing to the gallery to ever be able to uh, do that kind of nuanced performance so uh, <laughs> I have to you know game respects game you know <laughs> great job wish I could do it <laughs> I think it's time for us to move on to our rankings for the week Jade, what are you going to give the episode this week? So I'm going to give this episode 7 out of 10 cake and schmooshes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I did really enjoy it, despite everything we've been saying. I think there were some really, really genuinely lovely moments in there. I loved the Broadway baby opening. The runner was just so much fun. It was lovely to see Swedish Chef again. And as Lewis and I have just been saying, Tit Willow was just comedy gold. Just like really lovely. But searching didn't particularly work for me. Um, it felt it felt really weak. And I do genuinely feel like nobody does it like me was not the best use of Valerie Harper's talents. Maybe it was the best use of her potentially very limited time, but I think her talent (laughs) could have been given a much better platform. I felt like seven is for me is the right number because I'm I did thoroughly enjoy it and it's and it's one of the better episodes, but there was there's still improvements that could be made basically. Um and so it doesn't quite tip up into the sort of Bruce and Connie level of of enjoyment. And also I just wanted more Valerie Harper. Like she's clearly a very, very funny lady and like I wanted to see a bit more of that. So yeah, I think seven out of 10 cake and schmooshes. Lewis, I'm going to come back to you because otherwise you'll probably be moaning that Emma's nicked your thing. So uh... (laughs) (laughs) I've come up with one all of my own that I'm perfectly happy with. Thank you. I'm going to go with Seven and a half May West wins <laughs> out of ten. And literally that I believe it's 7.5 different weeks <laughs> attached together to make the May West win. Or at least hair from seven and a half different people. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you come up and let me cut your hair sometime? <laughs> Despite the th- things that are 
not working in this episode. It was still so much fun and I loved Valerie Harper as a guest. That opening was so strong and so fun and I really loved her vibe and her energy and I missed her when she wasn't there, which I think is always a good sign of a guest because sometimes, I mean, every time <laughs> Harvey Corman turned up, I was like, oh, here we go again. You know, and even somebody like Joel Grey, who we were very excited about, then didn't deliver. Valerie Harper, for me, delivered. I see the problems in the final sketch. I miss her in the middle. And what we got given in that middle section, I didn't actually mind searching too much. It was inoffensive to me. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It, 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 it did what it had to do. There was some nice harmonies or whatever. I just, yeah, I just had so much fun. And you're right. What it signals for what maybe The Muppet Show is going to become and the flexibility in which they're going to explore where musical numbers happen, what the reality is, and just, you know, how much opportunity and how much creativity there is to come, and that they're just scratching the surface of what this show can be. So for that, I'm going to give it seven and a half May West wig brackets (laughs) out (laughs) out of 10. Emma! What are you going to give the episode this week? Well, funnily enough, I'm going to give it the same rating as you, Lou. I'm going to give it seven and a half Valerie Harper splits out of ten. <laughs> uh, I thought you'd like that one. Because um, I basically, I just thought Valerie Harper was a delight. She was really good and it was really refreshing to see a different opening and having it start in the backstage with her and Kermit and then going into Broadway Baby And a bit like you both said, she was a really good guest and the bits that she was in, um, I thought were really good. Although I know I sort of said I compared the last bit to like Bruce, but kind of thinking about it, like what you said, Jade, it wasn't as good and as higher quality. Um, But I just thought it was nice that we kind of had the running um, sort of Statler and plant uh, sort of bit all the bush, way through. Emma, the just say bush. <laughs> bush throughout the um, backstage pieces. Um, but there were some weak parts. So the end news flash, probably Wayne and Wanda, and also those three bits with searching. And although the UK spot was good with Sam and Rolf, it was like they weren't as good. And it, did, it didn't feel like filler like when we've had it before. But it was a shame that they didn't use Valerie more and they did feel like they were three things that were very much on the same level. So, yeah. So for this episode, um, I'm going to give it seven and a half Valerie Harper splits out of ten. Lovely. Jade, why don't you hit us with a little Muppet philosophy for this week? So I'm going to take this opportunity to read a passage from Jim Henson, the biography by Brian J. Jones that I've kind of thought about a few times especially when we've been speaking about Statler and Wardorf um because uh Richard Hunt talks about working very closely with Jim in the box when they're when they're puppeteering together and I thought seeing as this episode is quite Statler and Wardorf heavy albeit with them actually separate as we've been discussing um I thought I'd take that opportunity to read this section and what what it's really talking about, as you're about to find out, is about Jim Henson and um, not only his relationship to work, but his relationship with friends, because he was he was quite unusual. Um, I think you're well. I don't know. I'll be curious to see what you both think once I've once I've read it. So here we go. 
As always, even with the hectic pace, Jim thrived on the work. I love my work, and because I enjoy it, it doesn't really feel like work, he said. Thus, I spend most of my time working. His ethic was contagious. You had to try to keep up with the guy. It seemed only fair, remarked Jerry Jewell. But many of the longest-serving Muppet performers also came to understand that Jim's devotion to his work came at a personal cost. For such a giving, generous, non-stop creative person, Jim really didn't have any friends, said Richard Hunt. He was friends with the guys he worked with, but I think he was so much involved in his work that it didn't help or allow him the time or the luxury of developing true, deep friendships. Jewel thought he understood. It isn't that Jim didn't have friends, he said. It was just that there was no separation of life and work for Jim. He knew very few people who weren't involved in his projects or involved in his business. And usually what socialising he did, almost inevitably he did, with people who he was working on projects with. Hunt, who had spent as much time as anyone socialising with Jim outside work, admitted that some of the most meaningful and memorable time spent with Jim were those private moments on the set. Jim and Hunt would often spend hours crammed shoulder to shoulder in a tiny space as they performed Statler and Waldorf heckling from their box seats. And that's when we would have these talks, said Hunt. As the rest of the crew worked on the stage floor below, Jim and Hunt were in near isolation, in this little enclosed thing with curtains shut and in a little booth together. We would talk about our families and our hopes and our desires and politics. Jim was very close to us all, said Jewel. He just conducted his life in a different way than most people did. He just couldn't understand about this whole thing called work and why people didn't like it and why people thought there was something wrong with working. Hmm. Yeah, I suppose it's just, you know, somebody who gets to work in their passion and obviously surrounded himself with a group of like-minded people who are just as passionate about mm-hmm. it as he is. And are in a way passionate about him. There's such a sort of cult almost around mm-hmm. Jim Henson and the people who worked with him. And actually, if somebody like Jim doesn't have a work-life separation and that work was his life, I think it's odd to say that he didn't have friends because it seems almost to lessen his relationship with yeah. these people to just call them yeah. colleagues. Yeah. So, yeah, for them to say he didn't really have friends, I don't know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. Maybe, you know, he just viewed the world differently or, you know, I don't know. It's interesting. Or, or I think maybe they are just pointing to the fact he didn't really have friends outside of work. You know, mm. the, the his work and life for Jim were the same thing. And therefore, exactly like you've just been saying, his his colleagues were his friends. Because, I mean, especially even in these days, there was such a small bunch of them that were working together every single day. You know, I know it's an old cliche, but they essentially would have been a family, wouldn't they? You know, and, and especially when they were making The Muppet Show, because they were all thousands of miles from from home and from their actual Mm. friends and family so but yeah i just i really love that passage um where richard hunt's talking about you know the kind of conversations that they would have while they were playing statler and waldorf like it feels very Mm. kind of wise and profound and it's while they're playing these curmudgeonly old men like it's just a i don't know just i just really like that thought well i'd like it noted on the podcast that i consider you both friends and colleagues. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and, and, and a blood I was relation. Say, and a sister. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
did. Great. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Muppet Social. If you've enjoyed the episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review as it really helps spread the word about the podcast. You can follow us on social media. We are at Muppet Sational on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can contact us at hiho at muppetspodcast.com. And you can find out more about us and the podcast at muppetspodcast.com. Thank you so much for joining us this week in this. <laughs> it, it took a lot of work for us to get here, but I'm very glad that we managed to pull through all the problems and sort it. Until next week, I have been Lewis Chandler. I've been Jay Turner. And I've been Emma Chandler. Please let us assume that the applause sign is flashing in your brain as you finish off listening to another episode of Muppet Sational! Our theme music is Peppy Pepe by Kevin McLeod. And our artwork is designed by Charlotte Rudge, who you can follow at at Charlie underscore R underscore Rudge on Instagram.